Let me just encourage you, as we continue to move forward, as we continue to grow, as we continue to reach further and further into our community and do the things that God has asked us to do, continue to be generous, continue to be faithful, and enjoy it. Don't just give and drop it in the, in the, in the box. Man, take a minute. Uh, that's why I do this, because I'm just, I love, I love giving. It is so exciting for me. I love seeing what God, I love being a part of something bigger than me. I love being a part of something that I can't do by myself. I love being a part of the body of Christ and allow, and, and hopefully the Lord is able to use me in those ways. You should have received a letter from me this week. If you, if you didn't, there's a, a number of reasons that might not have happened. It might just not be in your mailbox yet, or we might not have your correct information, or you might just be a guest with us right now. And, and this may be your first time, and if it is, welcome. We're so excited that you're here. If you didn't get that letter and it's because you're a guest or because um, we don't have your correct information, there is a Connect card in the chairs around you. And if you have a minute, if you would mind just filling that out, letting us get a chance to get to know you a little bit better. But the letter that I sent um, was to tell us a little bit about what I started telling about last week, what's coming this fall. This fall, I'm going to be introducing an emphasis that we are calling Wired That Way. We are going to get started on Sunday, uh, September the 12th. And one of the main parts of this emphasis is going to be the relaunching of our Bible Fellowship Hour, the 9.15 to 10.15. Some people have called it uh, Sunday school. Some people call them small groups. We, we have a number of small groups that don't meet on Sunday mornings. They meet uh, in, in uh, homes and, and across the community. But that hour we are going to relaunch is our Bible fellowship hour. We have classes that currently meet, but we are relaunching that hour. And what we're going to be doing on the 12th is we're going to relaunch with a church-wide breakfast. We're going to meet in the fellowship hall, uh, and then we're going to begin this series wired that way, both in our worship time as well as deeper in, in our Bible fellowship time. It won't be the same stuff. It will just be similar things, but going deeper. In other words, it's not two identical hours. It's still separate types of times. But we want you to be a part of that. One of the things that we'd like you to do, just like we are asking you to, to sign up for midweek to let us know how to prepare, next week we're going to sign up for the Bible Fellowship Hour. It doesn't mean if you just show up, we're going to turn you away because you didn't sign up. But we just want to kind of have an idea going into it of how much food we're going to need to feed people each week. And so we want to make sure that we just kind of have an idea. Plus, we want to get as much of the church family involved as possible. I desire everybody to be involved. Their children are going to be doing the same thing. Our students are going to be doing the same thing. Our adults, we're all going to be on the same page walking this journey of Wired That Way and discovering our shape, discovering our shape, our spiritual gift, our heart, our abilities, our personalities, and our experiences, and how all of those come together and are useful for building the kingdom. That's going to be our emphasis this semester, and we're going to be talking about it more and more each week. But our one of our priorities of that emphasis is the Bible Fellowship Hour so that we can go deeper, so that we can build deeper relationships with one another, and so we can get to know each other better, but also so we can dive deeper into God's Word. Speaking of which, if you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to Psalm 50. Psalm 50. And I apparently left mine down here. I'm just going to go ahead and offer a small disclaimer. Um, after my chase of Elijah at open house, uh, at, at our preschool open house, 
I tried to make it a good story last week, and I thought it closed the sermon pretty well, the illustration. But I, I got to be really honest with you. Um, when, I, when I jokingly say that I was bent over trying to catch my breath, that was, that was funny, except in the moment, it was extremely real. And I, I, just, I was really kind of made aware of how out of shape I am. Now, don't get me wrong. Round is a shape. <laughs> but it, but I, I, I just kind of had a moment where I just was done. And so I started working out this week. I didn't say I liked it. And I'm, I'm going to continue. Don't get me wrong. I, I, am, I, am, I am putting myself out there and I am making a commitment to you that, um, that, that this is the temple he has given me. And I'm going to do the best job I can of taking care of it. But Friday, um, we, 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 lift, we lifted weights. And we squatted. And it's, it's been a little while, Fred. And by, and by a little while, I mean like, who said never? You need Jesus. Was that Kelly? Oh, okay. Um, anyway, so I squatted for the first time, and I'm telling you, I felt great until Saturday morning. And it was like, I, and I had this moment that Julie did not see, but I'm going to share with you. You ever had that moment where, you're, where you were working, but a part of your body was not? So I got out of bed, or at least I thought I did. And my right leg decided, no. I worked for you yesterday, and today is my day off. And I am so glad that all the pillows that are on our bed, which serve no purpose whatsoever, but all the pillows on our bed go to my side because it was literally like, I am excited about that. And I was down. And you know that moment when kids fall and then they pop up and the first thing they say is, I'm okay? That did not happen. I was down, and I did not know how to get back up. So I'm just saying, if you see that moment today where it looks like he's going down, he probably is. And I just want to go ahead and give you the freedom to know that that probably will be funny. I hope it does not happen, but if it, if it does, make it worth it. Put it on YouTube and let people know that it was our church, and they can come on back if they want to see it happen all again. If you haven't had time to find Psalm 50, then shame on you. Before we stand and read the, the full psalm, I, I want us to take a look at just the first six verses because I want to take a minute to set it up. Uh, we have gotten into the habit any time that we conclude a sermon series that we, we celebrate by observing the Lord's Supper. And this morning with Psalm 50, we are concluding the first of three or four summers where we are going to spend our summers in the Psalms. My hope is, not that you've just heard good sermons, I do hope that you've heard good sermons. I hope that you've experienced good worship. I hope that you have enjoyed these devotional books. I hope that you have been in the Psalms in some way, shape, form, or fashion all summer long. But I hope that if nothing else has happened this summer with the Psalms, that you have been equipped with a daily tool for your relationship with the Lord. 
All you have to do is start off the morning with a song. Just start off the morning with a song and see what God does with it for the rest of the day. You will be, you will be so surprised to the point that you'll get used to it that, that that psalm held a specific intent for that day. That God had that psalm set aside for what you would need that day. And so what we're going to do over the next several summers, unless the Lord directs differently, we're going to continue our journey through the psalms each summer. Next summer, we'll pick up with 51 through 100. And then the next summer, Lord willing, we'll do 119. And then the final summer, we'll do 100 through 150. But we are concluding our summer in the Psalms with Psalm 50 uh, this morning. As a matter of fact, as a part of that, we, we want to make available to you a little book that's had an incredible impact on my life. It's called Praying the Bible. It's by Dr. Donald Whitney. We've ordered several copies. They're over here. We're only going to ask you $5 just to reimburse a portion of our cost. Um, Dr. Whitney is the one who said there is a psalm for every sigh of the soul. There is a psalm for every sigh of the soul. And a lot of our time together this summer has been based on chapter 5, which is praying the psalms. And so it's, the title of the book is Praying the Bible because he teaches us in this book how to do just that, how to use the Bible in our prayer life, chapter 5 specifically, how to use the Psalms in our prayer life. And I want to just make this available to you. If you'd like a copy, just see Angela or Karen and you can grab one. If you don't have $5, if that's going to push you over the edge, just grab one and take it with you, but only if you're going to use it. Don't just take this book and let it be on your shelf. I've, I've bought, read, and given away at least 10 by now. Had a, just full disclosure, I had a friend give me a copy of this book about three years ago, three, four years ago. I was going through one of the, the most discouraging seasons in my life. It was just, it was one of the lowest points that I had ever been at, just personally. Not everybody around me knew it. Lots of people did, but not everybody did. And my friend sent me a copy of this book. And he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk, this, walk through this book with you. And we are going to learn how to pray scripture together. He was already doing it, but he became... before. And so this is, this is not God's word. This is God's word. But this is a wonderful resource that will point you further and deeper into God's word. And we want to make that available to you. Just see Angela or just see Karen if you would like that. Also, I had the opportunity to do a Zoom interview with Dr. Donald Whitney. And Davey is going to turn that into a podcast that will be up and available in the next week or so. So be looking for that. But this morning as we prepare to observe the Lord's Supper, as we prepare to worship him and really thank him for his sacrifice, for, for the gifts of eternal life, for the gift of, of forgiveness. Let's just look at the first six verses. It says, The mighty one, God, the Lord, speaks. He summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. From Zion, the perfection of beauty, God appears in radiance. Our God is coming. He will not be silent. 
devouring fire precedes him and a storm rages around him. On high, he summons heaven and earth in order to judge his people. Gather my faithful ones to me, those who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, for God is the judge. Selah. I want to ask you to hold your place at Psalm 50 and either jot down so you can look back later or turn with me. We're going to be looking at two other places in Scripture this morning. The first one is going to be the book of Exodus. Turn to the book of Exodus. For If you're new to Bible study, Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus. And you're going to find Exodus chapter 19. Also, if you just want to jot it down uh, so you can uh, find it later, that'd be fine. Let me tell you what's happening here. In Exodus chapter 20... In Exodus chapter 20, we're going to be receiving the Ten Commandments. If you ever wonder where the Ten Commandments are, remember that Exodus is the second book of the Bible. There are Ten Commandments. Two times ten is twenty. Exodus chapter 20. Um, but we're about to get the, 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 we're about to get the, the Ten Commandments. You shouldn't have any other gods. You shouldn't have any idols. You don't steal. You don't murder. You, you, you're probably familiar with some of those. But chapter 19 is the leading up to this moment. It's the preparation of the people for the moment when God is going to give Moses the Ten Commandments and God, Moses is going to bring the Ten Commandments to the people. And God is telling the nation of Israel in chapter 19 that they are supposed to be set apart. They are supposed to be holy. They are supposed to be different. He is about to give them these commands, these laws that will guide them in their lives, these, these, these laws that will allow that relationship to exist between God and his people. And God tells Moses to gather the people so that they can hear him while he's talking to Moses. God wants the people to hear him while he's on the mountain speaking to Moses. And that brings us to verse 16 of Exodus chapter 19. It says, On the third day, when morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people in the camp shuddered. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. And then verse 20, then the Lord came down on Mount Sinai at the top of the mountain. And this is where God meets Moses. This is where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. This is where God introduces the law to the people. And then he either introduces or reintroduces. He informs and reminds the people of what we're about to read again in Psalm 50. And with that, if you are physically able, I would invite you to join us as we stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. And as we have been through our summer in the Psalms, I'd ask you to read it out loud with me as we read Psalm 50. You just heard a couple of words that I want to ask you to look for in the first six. Thunder, lightning, they're aspects of a storm. And then he came down as in fire. Let's read together Psalm 50. The mighty one, God, the Lord speaks. He summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. From Zion, the perfection of beauty, God appears in radiance. Our God is coming. He will not be silent. 
devouring fire precedes him and a storm rages around him. On high, he summons heaven and earth in order to judge his people. Gather my faithful ones to me, those who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, for God is the judge. Selah. Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or for your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your household or male goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and everything in it is mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice a thank offering to God and pay your vows to the Most High. Call on me in a day of trouble. I will rescue you and you will honor me. But God says to the wicked, what right do you have to recite my statutes and to take my covenant on your lips? You hate instruction and fling my words behind you. When you see a thief, you make friends with him and you associate with adulterers. You unleash your mouth for evil and harness your tongue for deceit. You sit maligning your brother, slandering your mother's son. You have done these things, and I kept silent. You thought I was just like you, but I will rebuke you and lay out the case before you. Understand this, you who forget God, or I will tear you apart, and there will be no one to rescue you. Whoever sacrifices a thank offering honors me, and whoever orders his conduct, I will show him the salvation of God. Father, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. You are our rock. You are our redeemer. Father, may I decrease so that you might increase, and may we conclude our time today more like you than when we started, because we have been in your presence, we have heard your voice, and we have been changed by your word. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. That's a tough passage to read. But there are a couple of nuggets in there that I'm not going to have time to dive into today. But in verse 10, it's where you get that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That our God is not in need of anything, and really neither are we. Our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I also think 22 is, is useful for every parent. I think it'd be kind of cool for every parent to go understand this, you who forget God, or I will tear you apart. <laughs> I mean, that's just biblical. Verse 6, the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for God is the judge. The judge of what? Warren Wearsby says it like this, says the emphasis is on the consistent godly living that should result from true spiritual worship. The emphasis is on the consistent godly living that should result from true spiritual worship. What is God judging? Two things. Number one, he's judging the way that we live. It's why we were given the commandments in the first place, to know how to live, to live in such a way that we were set apart from sin and we were set apart for 
him. We are set apart from rebellion and disobedience and everything that would take us away from God, from righteousness and eternal life. And we are set apart to him, to his purposes, to holiness, to righteous living, to live in such a way that we might fully embrace and fully enjoy the relationship that God created us for in the first place. He's judging the way that we live. Secondly, he's judging our worship. He's judging the way that we live, the conduct by which we live. He's also judging our worship. Notice that it's not saying how we worship or, or I'm not saying the way we worship. He's not, God's not up in heaven critiquing how you sing. He's not critiquing how you sound when you sing. <laughs> There's one amen in the room right there. God's not, God's not up there Writing, writing down his thoughts on how eloquent you are when you pray. Most people are afraid to pray publicly because they wonder what other people will think of the way they prayed. Can I tell you what prayer is? Prayer is you talking to God. You know who are some of the most eloquent prayers on the planet? The little people who could care less what you think about, they're just talking to their God. And they're stumbling all over their words and they're not using the right phrases, but God knows exactly what they mean and God's just excited that they're talking to him. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be smooth. You don't have to be flashy. Just talk to him. I stutter and sound stupid all the time. You pay me to do it. You now probably pay me less. God's not interested in that. God just wants you to speak with him. It's not critiquing the way we sound when we sing. He's not critiquing what style of worship we like best. He's not critiquing this or that. That's not what it means when we talk about worship. The best definition of the word worship that I have encountered in my brief life on this earth, I got from Louis Giglio at a conference years ago. And I would encourage you to jot this down. Matter of fact, Milton, I'm just going to, whoever's doing the, the sound, just leave it up there for just a second. This is what Louis Giglio said. And I'd encourage you to write this down. Worship is our response to God for who he is and what he has done expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. Worship is our response to God for who he is and what he has done expressed in and by the things that we say and the way that we live. Do you see music up there? You do not. Do you see anything specific up there about this instrument, that instrument, having a choir, not having a choir, using, having pews, having chairs, having bells, having an organ, having this, having that, the color of the carpet, the kind of breakfast that we serve? No. Why? Because it has nothing to do with any of that. Everything about worship is a heart issue. He doesn't care how we sound. He doesn't care. He does care about the theology of the songs that we sing. We need to have right theology. We need to have accurate doctrine. We need to be singing songs that are biblically based and true. But he doesn't care how, we're, how eloquent we are when we pray. He doesn't care how smooth we are when we deliver our orations to him. He doesn't care. What he cares about is our heart. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks.
In verses 1 through 6, God establishes himself as a judge. And don't get me wrong, he is more than the judge. By judge, we're not talking about like the judges that we see on television or even the judges that we have in our own church where they wear the robe and they sit in the court. God is, God is not only the judge, God is the legislator. God is the one that gives the law. God is also the prosecutor and the defense. God is also the jury. He is God. But in this sense, he's introducing himself in verse 1 through 6 as the judge, and he is judging our, the way that we live and our worship. That's the purpose of the whole first six verses. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, for God is the judge. In the next section, verses 7 through 15, he is speaking specifically to believers about their worship. He's speaking specifically to, to believers about their worship because what is happening, their, their worship, their activities, they're being very, very faithful in their activities, but their activities have become routine. They have pressed the button and they're just going through all the motions. And you've done it and I've done it where we wake up, we come, and then we leave. And I am asking you, and I am asking you to ask me. I'm asking, I'm going to pray for you. You're going to pray for me. But can we stop just coming on Sunday mornings? And can we come expecting? Can we, can we sit down on Saturday night, right before we lay our head down and, God, and say, God, do something incredible tomorrow? Can we pray during the course of the week that Sunday would be this overflow and that God would do something absolutely incredible any time that we come together, but definitely on Sunday mornings so that it's not just, okay, we checked off this song, we checked off this song, uh, he did the welcome and I only got 53 of the 54 people. Uh, we, I put my money in the thing. We were just, it's just a checklist. Oh, God forbid any aspect of this just be a section on the checklist that we check off so that we can leave. May everything that we do be something that is an overflow of our relationship with God. May it be a return to him. May it be an act of worship. May everything we do be something that God can use for our good and for his glory. May we never just go through the motions. I get it. We, we do. We just, we just do. It just, I know it just happens, but let's fight it folks. Let's fight that tendency Let's enter into this place with an expectancy that God is going to do something incredible among us. And let's not just do it here. Let's do it anytime we come together. And not just when we're all together, not when we're just all together, but anytime that we're together. If I'm just sharing a meal with the Brannons, may I go into it expecting that somewhere God is going to use it. If I'm trick-or-treating uh, with the Millers and the Boudreaux's down their street, may I go expecting that God is going to do something incredible wherever you are with a part of the body of Christ. May you do so not out of routine, not out of habit, not out of rut, but instead go into it expecting that the God of the universe has a divine appointment for you. And may you open yourself up in a willingness to be used by him in an incredible way. But what had happened was the people of God had, had run into that same thing that, 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 that John was telling the church at Ephesus in Revelation. They had, they had abandoned their first love. They forgot who had brought them to the dance in the first place. And the psalmist is telling the people 
We do the things that we're supposed to do. We've got the actions, we've got the exercises, we've got the disciplines down pat, but we have lost our love for the Father. We have, we have lost our love for the relationship and God's judgment on the people is about the heart of their worship. It's not the songs that they sang. It's not the color of their carpet or whether they had a choir or not. It's not how the chairs were arranged. It's with the heart that they brought to the worship. The next section is verses 16 through 21. God is speaking to the wicked. He spoke to the worshiper. Now he's speaking to the wicked. There are Israelites living in the community, but they're living in sin. They're living in a total disregard for God. They're living in a total disregard for his law. They worship themselves. They worship their own sinful lifestyles but they still participate in worship. And what they're doing is they're participating, even though they're living in active rebellion, they're participating in the worship, they're participating in the service, but they're denying any authority of God in their life. They're, they're only going to the temple and acting religious so that they can cover up their sins. They're, they're trying to fool God. It's a good plan. That's what hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy is, is when you attempt to fool God and you attempt to fool those around you. And it should be a reminder to us that worship didn't begin when we entered in here at 1030. And worship will not end when we depart here in just a few minutes. Because worship has nothing, to, it's not limited to this time. Worship is our response to God for who he is and what he's done, expressed in and by the things that we say and the way we live. We only get this time for about an hour and a half every Sunday morning, but you are out there the rest of the time. And my question to you and your question to me is that am I worshiping seven days a week, 24 hours a day? And then we get to the last section, verses 22 and 23. Understand this, you who forget God, or I will tear you apart, and there will be no one to rescue you. Whoever sacrifices a thank offering honors me, and whoever orders his conduct, I will show him the salvation of God. The, the true worshiper has a healthy fear, a healthy reverence for the Lord and a healthy reverence of the Lord. It, it does not mean, uh, and there are times where God, in his wrath and in his, um, in his uh, judgment, that there is going to be a fear that we will, that we, I hope nobody ever experiences, that we don't have to when we're in Christ necessarily. But what he's talking about with fear is a reverence, a respect, an awe. that we see God, that we get a glimpse of God, that we have a sense of God for who he is. And in understanding who he is, we understand who we are. We see God in all of his majesty and all of his glory, and we understand that we are sinners in need of a Savior. It's having a correct perspective of who he is and who we are. I mentioned at the beginning, we'd be looking at two other places in Scripture. The first took us to Exodus chapters 19 and 20. God preparing his people for the law. God uh, further establishing his role as a judge in our lives. The second one takes us to John chapter 4. 
Either write it down or turn there. I prefer you turn there. John chapter 4. What's just happened in John chapter 3 is Jesus has met with Nicodemus. This is uh, the familiar passage. It's the most popular scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him uh, should not perish but have eternal life, have everlasting life, whatever translation that you, you use. But Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a respected, highly respected religious leader. And then in chapter 4, Jesus is having a similar conversation but with somebody completely different. He's just had this conversation with this respected religious leader. And then in chapter 4, he is at Jacob's well in this area called Samaria. Jews and Samaritans couldn't stand one another. And, and, and women were not supposed to talk to men publicly. But Jesus is at this well, at Jacob's well, and he's talking to, uh, we often refer to her as the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well. Uh, she is a woman with a a blemished reputation, to say it nicely, and she comes to the well in the heat of the day to avoid everybody else, and she and Jesus strike up this conversation. And the conversation basically revolves around two topics, water and worship. We've talked about water a little bit in the last couple of weeks, and I want to look at the other part of their conversation, the part about worship. Conversation has just become a little uncomfortable for the woman. Jesus has just given her a few facts about herself that she didn't know he knew and that she doesn't want anybody else to know. Most everybody else knows it anyway, but she doesn't want it broadcast and she's really uncomfortable with the conversation. So she starts making it about religion. There's a tide turner right there. If you're ever in a conversation that's getting a little uncomfortable, just start talking about religion. See how well that works out for you. And she does what any of us do. She changes the subject on him. Look at verse 19. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is Jerusalem. And Jesus responds to her and he says, believe me, woman. And when you hear him say woman, don't think he's talking down to her. That is not, this is a, this is a term of endearment that he is, believe me, woman. An hour is coming when you will worship the Father, capital F, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Verse 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We, he's talking about the Jewish people, we worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and it's now here. And here's the part I really need us to hear. An hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The hour is coming and it's now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Let me read Psalm 50 verse 23 again. Whoever sacrifices a thank offering honors me and whoever orders his conduct, I will show him the salvation of God. In light of what we've just read from John's gospel, whoever sacrifices a thank offering honors me. In other words, whoever is worshiping out of a heart overflowing with gratitude, out of a heart overflowing with adoration, that is a heart that understands. That is a heart that is demonstrating that relationship. That is a heart that is responsible Responding to the love, to the grace, to the mercy that has, it has been shown to it. Whoever sacrifices a thank offering honors me. And whoever orders his conduct. Whoever understands that God's word is about liberty and not just limitations. 
Whoever allows the Holy Spirit to live through them. Whoever says, not my will, but yours be done. Whoever lives in such a way that their life points people to God, to Jesus, and to salvation. Whoever lives their life, whoever worships with out of gratitude and adoration and in a lifestyle that is pleasing, I will show that person the salvation of God. And that person worships in two ways. That person worships in spirit and in truth. And as the, the instrumentalists and the musicians come back up, we have an opportunity today to reflect and remember, but more than anything, to worship in spirit and in truth. And my prayer, my hope, my desire is that as we participate in this exercise that we call the Lord's Supper, that this would be the farthest thing from routine for you. That this would be the farthest thing from just going through the motions for you. But that as we, as we share the elements, that you would worship in spirit and in truth. That your worship would be a response to God for who he is and what he has done that it would be expressed by the things that you say and sing as well as by the way that you live. And that we would understand that when we leave this place, worship does not end, worship just continues. In your relationships, at your work, in your play, in your neighborhoods, in your families. So may we enjoy this time as we celebrate, as we remember, as we worship in spirit and truth. Jay and Julie Monga, would you come serve the body of Christ? Jake Sink, would you come serve the body of Christ? Jim and Kathy Schluter, would you come serve the body of Christ? Will and Kelly Brown, would you come serve the body of Christ? Stephen Elise, would you come serve the body of Christ? They're going to get the elements and they're going to make their way to you. I just ask that you take one of the elements and that you just wait so that we can take it all together as we worship in spirit and truth. Corinthians tells us to, to take time and prepare just want to ask you to right now where you are, just deal with the Lord. You may have some unconfessed sin. You may have something in your relationship with God that you want to get right before you partake and worship in this way. I also want to ask that if you are not a Christ follower, if you are not a Christian, that you just let the plate pass you right by. This is an act for believers. And if you have a question about Christ, we want to talk to you about that. We're so excited that you are here. But if you've not yet begun your journey with the Lord, we want to ask that you just let it pass right by you. And you just listen to the voice of the Lord as he speaks with you. But join us as we worship in spirit and truth. <laughs>